You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my good friend, Gil Martin. He's a writer for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV, and I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. We're here to talk Packers in the playoffs, because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. We've got a spicy little schedule served up for you tonight. We're going to talk about one of our favorite teams in the NFL, that would be the 49ers. We love playing them in the playoffs. I mean, who wouldn't want to play a team that's not in your division six times since 2018? I mean, who the heck wouldn't just relish the chance to go to another 49ers game? This one at least is at home. I'm sick of going out to Santa Clara. You know, Gil, uh, I know that they decide the schedule with an algorithm. And I know that uh, the the playoff games where the Niners had home field advantage over us because they had a better seating. I, I get that. That makes sense. But the fact that uh, if, even if you take that playoff game out of the mix, that we played the 49ers in the regular season three times in a row on the road, does that to you... <laughs> seem like they need to fix their algorithm a little bit. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just roll 12 four times in a row. It doesn't happen <laughs> often, but, you know, no matter what the algorithm algorithm is, sometimes it just, you know, doesn't roll the way you want it to roll. So, yeah, maybe they, I'd like them to fix the algorithm, but it's pretty fair the way they have it set up. It just didn't work out in the Packers' favor well, the last time they played San Francisco at Lambeau was what twenty eighteen on Monday night. Yep, yep, yeah. I th- there was a while where it felt like we were playing the Forty ers and the Panthers every single year, and we skipped the Panthers this year. And uh, I, you know, honestly, getting one year off was kind of enough for me. I'm no longer sick of playing the Panthers, but for a while, I was almost as sick of the Panthers as it was the Niners, but. Uh, but we've now played the, the Niners twice as ma- twice as many times as the Panthers in that same time span. Well, you know, I can live without the Panthers for a year and I wouldn't mind. Now, we're not going to face the Niners next year, are we? I think we do not. No, next year we do not. Yeah. We get a break. Well, in the regular season. Right, in the regular season because uh, we face the NFC East, all the teams in that division, and the San, and San Francisco finished in third place in their division, which is, you know, here they are in the final four of the conference, but they were third in their division. So go figure that yeah. one out. So, uh, you know, the one of the big factors that I think is going to play a major part in this game, Jimmy Garoppolo's health in his arm. Uh, He has a sprained shoulder in his throwing arm, which he got apparently uh, because he was trying to avoid further injury to his hand. I guess he had a torn tendon in his thumb on his throwing hand. So he's going to be coming to green Bay where the temperature at kickoff is going to be about 11 or 12 degrees. Very cold. 
um, with a bum shoulder, a bum hand. They are not starting Trey Lance. I don't I don't even a little bit think that that's going to happen. I think it's Jimmy G for sure. Um, unless uh, un- unless he just is really playing so poorly that Kyle Shanahan feels that there's no option other than to pull him. I think the most we're going to see of Trey Lance is maybe some gadget goal line stuff like we did last time. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, I, I think I would rather face Jimmy G than Trey Lance just because of the unpredictability of what Lance can do with his legs. Well, I, I think I'd also rather face Jimmy G because of that uh, bum wing he's got. I mean, you saw what the Packers did to the Rams in the playoffs last year when Goff had a messed up hand. Um, you know, Jimmy's the ball is not coming out of Jimmy's hand the same way it normally does. And he even admitted as much that he is uh, certainly very affected by the hand injury. I'm, I'm thinking he's going, going to also be pretty affected by the shoulder injury as well. I mean, it's a sprained shoulder. Come on. That, that if, if nothing else that has to affect his deep ball has to, it, it should. And, and I think when you add the cold weather in, that will probably make it even harder for him to deal with the injuries because uh, if you get hit in the cold weather, you feel that a lot more. And, I, I you know, it's harder to keep the arm warm and to, to get loosened up. And he's never played in a game with weather conditions this cold. So in my mind, uh, those will all be things working against Jimmy Garoppolo. The thing working for him is, that the game plan for the 49ers, even if he was healthy, probably does not involve having Jimmy G win the game outright with his arm. Yeah, that's true, especially because of the cold. Um, Jimmy has always been, I think, a very competent quarterback when the run game is working well, Uh, sort of in the vein of Kirk Cousins. I think you see a very similar um, maybe not quite to the same level of Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk is a uh, little more talented quarterback than Jimmy is, but certainly some similarities there. Um, since we played the 49ers last time, the big difference between then and now is that their offense has really woken up. Uh, they have four players in their starting lineup who grade out as certainly elite. Uh, that would... <laughs> I hate looking at this. Number one is Trent Williams, left tackle. Uh, He is far and away the best graded offensive lineman in all of football this year. I think he might be the best graded player in all football this year. On the season, on the season, he has a 98.3. That is so absurd. Um. Aaron Donald occasionally has like a a 98 or a 99 game. And that's super impressive. Trent Williams is basically right there on the season. I have never seen a football player play as well as Trent Williams has for the whole season. Uh, The worst game of the entire year for him was week 15 against Atlanta. He had a 72.9. That's still a really good grade. And and that came the the uh, dip in his grade came off of his run blocking that week. Wow. He, he still had an eighty six point seven pass blocking grade. 
Uh, Trent Williams is absolutely a game changer. Uh, he's he's been very good for a long time, but uh, I mean, really, since 2013, he's been one of the best left tackles in football. But this is by far his best year. Um, also, along that same line, on the opposite side, right tackle Tom Tom Compton. He grades out as the eighth best tackle in football. So they have the number one and number eight tackle in football. Um, His run blocking grade is a 91.3. That's where the majority of his good grade comes from. His pass blocking grade, thankfully, is all the way down at 70. So uh, that is a pretty big relief uh, in that you don't have to worry so much about can Rashawn and Preston and whoever else is rushing faster, uh, uh, passer, not pastor. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very different game. Uh, can they get home against both of these tackles? I think Tom Compton, although he is certainly a competent pass blocker, uh, his run blocking grade is where he's elite. So you can at least put some pressure on Jimmy G on the right side. And then the interior is good, not great. Uh, The biggest weakness is right guard Daniel Brunskill. His pass blocking grade is all the way down in the 40s. That's, I think, where your best opportunity to get pressure is going to come from. Mr. Kenny Clark, like it always is. Uh, The other two guys, though, I, I think you can really easily guess who the other two offensive players are who grade out in the top. Uh, one of them is the third best at their position. The other is the fourth best. One of them's got to be Debo Samuel. Yeah, and who's the other obvious one? Well, uh, are you counting Juszczyk? Because there's only like seven fullbacks in the whole league. <laughs> I'm not counting Juszczyk. Hang on. Let me, let me just filter this to 21 personnel and see. Uh, Juszczyk is the fourth best out of seven fullbacks. Okay, he's right <laughs> so in the he middle. Doesn't count. Uh, he doesn't count. The other he one's got to be Kittle then. It's, it's Kittle, the third yeah. best tight end in football. He has a 90.4 on the season. His receiving grade is a 90.9. He started off the season looking like crap, and he bounced right back and is having the second best season of his career. Uh, that's just ahead of his 2018 season. So he's a 90.4 right now. He was 89.7 in 2018. 2019 was his best year. That was a 94.4. Um But you know what? If you are concerned that just because he is back to his 2019 form, that means the rest of the team is. This is not anywhere close to the 2019 49ers. That was a dominant powerhouse team. This is a very different 49ers team that would uh, get thrashed by the 2019 49ers. It's not even a, a close comparison. Well, uh, yeah, I don't think they're as good as they were in 2019, but there are some differences offensively the way this team is structured, and they're still a good team. I I, I don't think they're, you know, in 2019, they were the best team in the NFC, uh, but right now I I, I think, you know, they belong in this top four, I think. Uh, At least, if not over the course of the entire season, certainly over the last six to eight weeks, let's say. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, when we are looking at the defense, I think there's some better news there. Uh, there was a pretty stifling defense and a powerhouse offense back in 2019. This year, it's definitely a little more one-sided. The offense is what has been carrying them uh, through the second half of the season. Um, 
it's pretty much the offense and Nick Bosa, and that's about it. Um, I I want to look for a second though and give uh, Rashawn Gary some appreciation because we haven't talked about him recently, and he's been playing at such an incredible level recently. Uh, he I think he's second in the league in pressure rate. Uh, for the season, and he has been on an absolute tear since week 10, uh, Seattle, starting with in week 10. <clears throat> He's had one game that was just uh, above average, and that was against Baltimore. His other grades uh, outside of the Baltimore game since week 10, 79, 77, 75, 82, 85, and then he finished up against Detroit with a 90.4. Yeah. Uh, his, his pass rush grade has just been really, really stellar uh, basically every week. And his tackling very consistently in the mid seventies. You like to see that he has uh, not just been a leader for the defense. He's been a stud as a player as well. Uh, so I, I just, I really have been excited to see that. Um, gives me, uh, gives me a, a lot of reason to be excited about the defense this year, as opposed to, um, how they kind of fell apart against the Buccaneers in the NFC championship game last year. No, I, I, I just, I, I, like I see it. so much consistency from Rashawn and he's been getting better and better. He has taken his game to another level this year and his consistency at getting pressures, if not always getting the sacks has sort of been the difference. So realistically, you know, it took him a couple of years to sort of get there, but I think Rashawn Gary, he he didn't quite play at a pro bowl level this year because in order to get votes for the pro bowl, you need to compile more sacks. He was respectable there, but not elite. But as far as his pressure and his overall game, I think he's just like that next, he's at the top of that next group below pro bowl players and if he continues to play the way he is, I think that he'll get the reputation that will eventually get him into the Pro Bowl. I think as a player, what he does on a down-to-down basis, I think that he has been one of the best pass rushers in football. But you're right that he hasn't had the flashy counting stats that get you a lot of attention. Um, I mean, really, in a lot of ways, he has been kind of who we have billed Devondre Campbell as just really consistent in every area of the game. Uh, Devondre, by the way, uh, there was a bit of a slump at one point in the year that we were concerned about. Um, That was really from week eight through about, oh, week 12 against uh, the Rams last time we played them. Since then, he has been pretty much back on his game. He had a great game against Chicago. Uh, played okay against Baltimore and Cleveland. Had another great game against Minnesota. Of course, he missed the Detroit game. Uh, they didn't really want to risk him, and and wow, was he <laughs> missed? He was so missed. When it was, oh yeah, when it was Oren Burks out there, and uh, forget forget who's playing next. Oh, it would have been Chris Barnes. Barnes. Chris Barnes and and Oren Burks out there. Noticeable, noticeable drop off. I think uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've done a lot of thinking about the Detroit game. And I'm, I I think ultimately it was good that they played it, but it really left a bad taste in my mouth 
for the, for the next couple of weeks because the Packers had been such a dominant tear for so many weeks in a row. So to have kind of a stinker game against Detroit kind of kind of left you with a uh, an unsatisfying uh, feeling in your gut about who the team was, even though for so much of the game it was all the backups. It was still frustrating to see, and I think that you could tell that a lot of the players knew that it was a meaningless game and played as such. They did, and I, I think that that frustrated the fans a lot more than the players. I think the players sort of knew what was coming. I mean, look, we saw – uh, you know, Jordan Love out there, Shamar John Charles out there in the second half, Oren Burks, you mentioned, getting extensive playing time in that game. Uh, in the second half, we, you know, we saw uh, basically the backups getting in there and, and trying to do their thing. And on the flip side, the Lions had nothing to lose. They were just having fun pulling out all the stops, all the all the plays that are at the bottom of their playbook came out and they had said, Hey, what, you know, flea flicker from our own five yard line. What the heck? Why not? You know, if we lose, we lose. It's uh, so I, I think overall, I don't think the players were that concerned to me. My concern was just that the intensity shouldn't be let up too much because when you add the game, that doesn't mean anything followed by a buy, you don't want that intensity level to fall off too much. Well, I'll tell you who was much more upset than the fans were. Because I agree that the players largely did not seem to care very much. Uh, a couple of the veterans, I think, were upset. But you know who was just steaming mad? Matt LaFleur was – I have never seen him as upset as I have when he has been talking about the, that Detroit game. He was so frustrated with the players because he really wanted them out there competing on every snap for the whole game. He wanted to win that game. And he talked he talked about some of the things that were frustrating him that he wants to see cleaned up this week against the Niners if they're going to win. He was talking about gap integrity, doing your job. I've never seen him as frustrated as as uh after that Detroit game. And we've seen him after some stinker games in the past. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I like that he cared so much and you know that that had to carry over into practice where he was really riding his guys, uh, for the last couple weeks. I think it was by design. I mean, I do think he was genuinely disappointed or frustrated, but I think it was by design that he went out of his way to call out his guys to prevent exactly what I was talking about, that the team would let down, that they would go too long without having that intensity level up. So by laying down the law, so to speak, after the mediocre performance, in, especially in the second half against Detroit, you guard against the, the team saying, oh, it didn't matter, the game didn't matter, so why should we care? All of a sudden, you know, that's the wake-up call. Guys, next is the playoffs. You got to care, and let's get ready. Now, we have here's what we have not been talking about very much is the 49ers and how – apparently dominant everybody says they were against the Cowboys huh. I've seen a lot of people just freaking out like oh the Niners are just unbeatable uh they were so dominant they played like a perfect game may I remind you the final score of that game it was a six-point game yeah the Niners only put up 23 points the Cowboys 
what do they do? Tie a record for the most number of penalties in a playoff game, something like that. Yeah. They shot themselves in the foot all day long. Over and over. You know what? It was what we saw in that game was the worst of a Mike McCarthy run team. Yeah. And it was unfortunate that the, the sloppiness, the penalties, the last play of the game was just unbelievably stupid. Uh, terrible clock management there. And I think, look, did, did the 49ers play a solid road playoff game? Yes. Did they do what they set out to do? Yes. But did the Cowboys beat themselves almost as much, if not more, than the 49ers beat them? I think that's true also. Did you know that was the worst graded game the Cowboys had all season? Because the Cowboys were a very good team for the whole year. Uh, Their overall grade uh, against the Niners was a 57. The lowest they had had all year long, all year, was 62 in their blowout, humiliating 16 to 30 loss to the Broncos back in week nine. Hmm. This was the worst grade of game of the season. And the worst grade they had on that day was the worst single category grade they had anywhere across the entire season in a category. And that was their run defense all the way down at 30. Um, and I, I found that interesting that they had a 30 run defense grade because obviously we knew that the run game was working really well against the Niners or uh, was working really well for the Niners against the Cowboys. Yes. So I took a look at Dallas's run defense on the season. They had three good games in run defense. That would be Tampa Bay in week one, the giants in week five and the Cardinals in week 17. Outside of that, this was a horrific run defense unit. I mean, just absolutely pathetic. Uh, Any of the weeks where they graded out really, really well in every other category, run defense was always putrid. So I was curious, hey, you know, the the Packers have a reputation for sucking against the run. How bad were they this year? They actually were not too terrible. They were pretty much average all year. Mm -hmm. Their, Their worst game came against the Browns on Christmas Day. We remember what Nick Chubb did to them. Yes. But they followed that up. That was a 36, and that was by far their worst grade by at least 10 points. Um, but they followed that up against the Vikings with an 82.7. Well, they did, they did very good job of shutting down the Vikings on that cold day uh, at Lambeau Field. And, and 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 I think that this is a very similar matchup coming to town with the Niners because they have again there's a quarterback that you don't feel can go all the way and and bail you out and sustain you with the passing game because of the injury similar to what you were seeing with the Vikings mm-hmm. that game really needed to be one on the ground this game really needs to be one on the ground um, the I think even. Even with the Vikings, it's not like they didn't have elite receiving options that you needed to worry about. They had Justin Jefferson, one of the best wide receivers in football. So even though there were those elite options in the passing game that you had to be concerned about, the Packers still were able to just focus on getting pressure on the quarterback, making him uncomfortable, making him throw the ball early. 
uh, before routes really had a chance to develop and keying in on the run game. And I think the Packers can follow a very similar game plan this week. Um, the biggest difference, obviously, is just the quality of the offensive line they're going to be going up against with the 49ers. Is that going to be enough to keep Jimmy G comfortable long enough to make his uh, little broken wing throws <laughs> as guys do get open? I don't think it's going to be enough, even though it is a very good offensive line. There are enough weaknesses, especially on the interior. I think if you if Zedarius is able to play, you can have him playing that rover role, get him in the middle next to Kenny Clark. Those two guys together can really bull rush. I I, I think that uh, the 49ers are maybe walking into kind of a trap here. Well, here's one other thing I want to add to your discussion of the run defense, and I think it's important. The run defense, you, you said it was average most of the year, and I think that's right. But I think if you look at the numbers, opponents gained 4.7 yards per rush against the Packers over the course of the season, and that's way too high. Yeah. But the reason that it didn't hurt the Packers so much, and I think it's going to be a key on Saturday night as well, the Packers very often were playing with a lead. And when you have the lead, if San Francisco falls behind 17-0 like they did in week three, in the cold, with Garoppolo having the uh, the broken wing, as you mentioned, or the, or the damaged wing, that creates a whole different set of problems. It takes San Francisco out of their desired offense, and it really makes them have to – you know, do the one thing I think they don't want to do, and that is put the game in Jimmy G's hands and he has to win it or lose it based on what he does with his right arm. So to me, if the Packers can even get up 10 nothing, you know, make it two scores, get a quick start, they can neutralize what the San Francisco running game would mean to that team as long as they don't do what they did so many times this year, and that's take their foot <laughs> off the gas. Yeah, one of the big differences between now and week three is who is uh, carrying the ball for him. So in week three, the lead running back was Trey Sermon. He was a third round pick uh, this year. Elijah Mitchell has taken over. He was their sixth round pick, has played much better than uh, Trey Sermon. And, and one of the better things that uh, Mitchell does compared to Trey Sermon is in the receiving game. Mitchell is actually a threat in the receiving game. Trey Sermon is clearly a liability. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what I found really interesting is that although it's a very good offense and it's a very good rushing offense, most of their points come through the air. Uh, Mitchell has five rushing touchdowns on the season. Trey Sermon has one. Now, they do still have uh, Raheem Mostert, and he, I think, is expected to play in this game. But uh, he has only had two carries the whole season, 20 yards, zero touchdowns. Yeah, you're leaving out the guy who has mo the most rushing touchdowns for this team, though. Is that Juszczyk or No, Debo Samuel. Oh, Debo. Yeah, Eight Debo. rushing touchdowns, and he only started to play running back really in, in November, let's say the last – eight or nine games when he has a rushing touchdown 
San Francisco was 7-0 and in those games. And all of his rushing touchdowns have been 15 yards or more. So he's not, they're not giving it to him, you know, third and goal from the three or the two. He's, he's getting in there from, you know, either the, the back end of the uh, gold zone or from beyond that area. And he's making big plays with his feet. So, uh, and, and the other problem you have to face with Samuel is we've seen the Vikings do it with Justin Jefferson. We saw uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Van Jefferson do it with the Rams. Getting that mismatch when you line up that receiver in the backfield, uh, Henry Black got stuck on that coverage a couple of times and got burned. Now, I don't think Black is going to have that same role this Saturday, but how do you cover a dangerous weapon like Samuel, who is one of the best runners after the catch in the league? How do you cover him if he runs patterns out of the backfield? That's a fantastic point. And obviously one of the most important issues here is going to, or, or most important keys is going to be Devondre Campbell and Chris Barnes uh, tackling. Well, Debo Samuel forces a ton of missed tackles. I think he has more missed tackles forced um, than the entirety of the Packers receiving core. Yeah. Uh, so that's obviously something that you got to keep an eye on. Um, uh, Gap gap integrity is going to be a big deal. Gap integrity, um, and, and I mean, who would you? The safeties are going to play well too. Who would you try to cover Debo Samuel with if he's in the backfield? Because you know, Darnell Savage, love the guy, but very inconsistent. He's a terrible year. Very he's a terrible year. Yeah, it's going to have to be Adrian Amos, and and you're going to have to have the linebackers keeping an eye on him as well. That's that's really what's going to have to be. And the problem is that that. Look, Amos is great positionally. He's smart. I love watching him do his thing. But does he have the speed to keep up with Adebo Samuel? I, I know linebackers will struggle to do that. Now, the Packers predominantly play zone, but they've got to figure out a way to at least contain Debo Samuel. Well, did, did we finally find the the right job here for a returning Jair Alexander, maybe <laughs> since we've been talking about how do you use him because uh, Stokes and Douglas both play their best game uh, clearly on on the outside. Maybe Jair is the guy that you really dedicate to trying to shut down Debo. I don't love that matchup because Jair, ha Jair hasn't played since what week three That's 16 weeks week four. Yeah. Week four. I thought he got hurt against Pittsburgh. Yes. Oh, Pittsburgh was week four. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't love it. it 15 weeks since he's played. He looks good in practice. Uh, Matt LaFleur joked that uh, their final test for him before he could go on the field was they were going to put him in pads and make him run smack into a concrete wall and see how much it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. But bottom line is. You have to tackle Debo well. Um, you have to anticipate what he's going to do. I think that it's going to take a group effort mm -hmm. by the linebackers, uh, the box safety, which would certainly be Adrian Amos, and uh, and your your slot corner, um, really keeping an eye on Debo and what he's going to do. But also, you can't 
you can't get so distracted by him that you let uh, somebody else burn you down the field. And that's uh, Kittle. First, uh, yeah, I exactly a little bit, but Kittle worries me a lot. <clears throat> Especially because we have struggled against tight ends uh, this year. And unfortunately, you need a safety who can handle Debo and you need a safety who can handle Kittle. Unless you, you have let Campbell those try two it. guys, if you have those two guys, uh, then then you're in an okay shape. But I don't know that they do have those two guys. I think you are going to have to lean on Campbell. Um, you're going to have to lean on help from the cornerbacks. It's going to be an issue, um, and, and I would feel a lot better if Darnell Savage had been playing better football over the last couple of months. But he he's certainly become a liability recently. Uh, I don't know what's going on in his headspace, but he's, uh, he's got the yips. Look, he's been inconsistent lately. I hope he rebounds. I hope he's ready for this playoff game. He may not be a hundred percent healthy. That's always, uh, you know, something that, uh, has to be taken into consideration after playing 17 weeks of football, but, Look, two weeks off should help with that. Should help with that if that is indeed the case. I'm speculating. I don't have any inside information about that. But, you know, to me, that is uh, a very, you know, those are the guys that worry me. And I think the, the fact that you have Garoppolo with the banged up shoulder and thumb on his throwing hand, maybe the Packers secondary can cheat a little bit in knowing that between that and the cold, he's not going to beat them deep. By the way, I just want to point out there is one little caveat to the uh, 4.7 yards per carry stat that the uh, Packers defense has. Uh, And that is that that includes running quarterbacks, Mm -hmm. which Jimmy G certainly is not. And actually, uh, nobody left in the NFC. Uh, I mean, Tom Brady is the, is the best rushing quarterback left in the <laughs> NFC that, uh, I mean, until you get to a potential, uh, Josh Allen, for example, Super Bowl, right? It's not something you have to be super or a Patrick about. Mahomes or yeah, but, uh, Washington, uh, Taylor Heineke had 195 yards on the ground. Uh, uh, what's the guy's name who played at Baltimore uh, with Lamar out? What was his name? Tyler Huntley. Yes. Huntley had 137 yards uh, on the ground. So it's, you know, it's, it's an issue. Uh, uh, No, Baltimore had 143 yards. Justin Fields had 137 yards. So you had, you had three games where you got really badly gashed by rushing quarterbacks um, Which is why I would have... rather not face Trey Lance. That 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 you know goes back to why I would rather face Garoppolo than Lance. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but that really leaves you with uh, Nick Chubb uh, and the Browns, who got 219 yards on the ground, 8.8 yards per carry. Um, that was absolutely brutal. But I'll remind you that the very next week, Dalvin Cook had 27 yards on the whole day. So when the Packers are focused on shutting down the run game, they can do it. They have done it. Dalvin Cook is no slouch, even though there was not really much of a passing threat that day to help take pressure off of him. Uh, if if I, I think the key to this game is going to be an effective 
pass rush. If you're getting pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo, making him uncomfortable and um, taking away that pass game, that allows you to, to dedicate those resources that you need to actually effectively shut down the run game. Here's what I don't think is going to happen. I don't think you're going to see a situation like the 2019 championship game where the Packers are going base defense, throwing everything, the, the kitchen sink at stopping Raheem Moster and still getting gashed for basically a first down every time he touches the ball. You're not going to see that. Uh, there is more talent along the Packers uh, defense this time around. If their entire goal is to stop the run, they certainly can stop the run. Uh, it's whether they can stop the run and the pass at the same time that uh, obviously is the key. What are you sacrificing? And, you know, l- let's talk a little bit about the Green Bay offense because, you know, when I was scouting this game and looking over everything, one thing that stood out, Devontae Adams has absolutely destroyed the San Francisco 49ers. In the four regular season games that he played, he has never had less than seven catches. He went over 100 yards in three of those four, and I believe he had a touchdown in at least one touchdown in each of those games. And even in that 2019 NFC Championship game when the Packers got blown out, Tay had a very, very strong day. I think it was like nine catches for 138 yards or something in that range. He really defeats he has some of his best games against San Francisco and if Aaron Rodgers has time the San Francisco secondary is vulnerable all right pop quiz here uh what was Devonta Adams best game this year I will tell you that San Francisco was the second best game of the year and right behind that you had his two games against Minnesota so what was the number one best game he had all year just ahead of San Francisco? The number one best game. He Didn't he have one game where he had like 14 catches? Uh, yeah, he had like 300-something yards. I mean, yeah, he, he – all right, let me uh, – boy, who who was the victim? It wasn't San Francisco. Uh, it was another early-ish game. Yeah. Was it Cincinnati? It was Cincinnati. Very good. There you go. Yeah, but, but his second best game of the year was the first time they played San Francisco. And, uh, you know, the DBs <laughs> have not gotten really much better since then. Uh, Jimmy Ward has upped his game a little bit, but he was still playing decently back then. But he is now the ninth highest graded safety out of 94 safeties. He, but he's only got a 79 grade on the season. And then Emmanuel Mosley uh, has a coverage grade of 71. I specify coverage grade because all of his other grades are just horrific. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to be generous by saying 71 instead of talking about what else he does. But, I mean, a 71-graded cornerback, come on. That's who you're going to put on Devonta Adams. Uh, the only prayer that the 49ers have is, is putting pressure on Rodgers. If they can make Rodgers uncomfortable, they can disrupt the passing game. You're not going to shut down. They don't have the horses. You could, I think that you could put the top three DBs that the 49ers have all on Devontae. And number one, <laughs> obviously the other uh, receiving options for the Packers are going to eat you alive. But I think Devontae is still going to get his catches even if you do that. 
Uh, these DBs for the Niners are not good. Uh, gone are the days of Richard Sherman. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley and Ambry Thomas are their top two uh, cornerbacks. Not not really uh, good players. The, the other guy that you have there, we talked about kind of extensively last time they played, is Kwan Williams. He tends to be their slot corner. Um, he has a 62 coverage grade. Uh, so his, his best asset is his run defense. And, uh, if, if your run defense is the reason they have you on the field as a cornerback, yeah, Devonte Adams is going to, is going to eat you up because Devonte loves line up in the slot. He does. And they utilize him well. And, you know, here's the thing. They not only do the Niners have to get to Aaron Rodgers, but I think they have to get to him with four pass rushers that if they start blitzing Rodgers will find the hot receiver almost every time and you wonder when you look at this matchup how many what resources what strategy are they going to use to try to take away Devontae Adams because you know I think Tay was only really kind of shut down I think once or twice all year and if that happens Randall Cobb gets open, Alan Lazard gets open, Aaron Jones gets open, and maybe those secondary receivers have to play a nice role to sort of make sure that, you know, if they take away Tay, they're going to pay for it. MVS doubtful for this game, according to the injury report, so I don't know that we'll see him necessarily, but getting Randall Cobb back and he's been activated off the IR. That'll be a big boost for Aaron Rodgers, especially in third down situations. Last time these two teams met, the pass rush was pretty ineffective. Uh, Rodgers was sacked one time. That was by Eric Armstead, who did the best job uh, pass rushing all day. Um, But even he, uh, he definitely struggled. He had the best uh, win percentage uh, pass rush win rate, which is not a stat I like very much. I think it's uh, tends to be a bad stat, but I'm pointing out because Eric uh, had a decent number there. Uh, Nick Bosa had a hit in a hurry uh, to- total. I think I already said uh, Rogers was only pressured seven times with one of those being a sack. And wasn't that Yash's uh, first start? Uh, yes, it was uh, because uh, Tunyon uh, didn't run many routes. He spent most of the day helping Yash uh, block Nick Bosa. But, you know, Nick Bosa, we at the time, we were wondering, you know, if it was just because of Tunyon that Bosa didn't have the greatest day. But the Packers then went on to face kind of a string of elite pass rushing units. You had uh, the Steelers with uh, TJ Watt and and Cam Hayward and uh, a few other guys who are really good. Um, the, the Bengals have a pretty ferocious pass rush. We went on to play uh, the Rams later and nobody was really able to get home. Really, the all year, the only unit that was very effective at getting home against Rodgers was the Saints. Yeah. who thankfully did not make the playoffs. I, I think uh, I think we all breathe a little sigh of relief. Even though the Saints weren't that good this year, just that it seems like every year there's a team that blows us out in the regular season and then 
does it again in the playoffs. So yeah, uh, I think the, the Saints missing the playoffs uh, didn't maybe. hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was nice, but uh, part of the reason right. that the pass rush did not get to Rodgers very often is the fact that Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers did a lot of those three-step drops, quick release passes, and I expect that to continue. I expect to see a lot of those quick release passes in this game against San Francisco to try to neutralize that pass rush. And when they do that, I mean, they're just absolutely unstoppable. And the only thing that can prevent you from doing that is uh, really good DBs who are able to – keep guys covered up for those first few seconds. And I do not think this, the Niners have anywhere near the horses to get that job done. Even on a good day. I really don't not consistently. Uh, No. So, uh, and, and especially you look at how Aaron and Devante recently have just had just a crazy mind meld. They have been completely unstoppable recently. Uh, to end the season, I mean, they were just it, it, un, unless having two weeks off kind of slows them down and gets them off rhythm, rhythm I, I don't which I don't that. think is going to be the case. No. I don't I just don't know. I mean, the, if the Packers keep playing the same game they've been playing, right, this is a pretty unstoppable offense, even for. Uh, San Francisco and their formidable pass rush. And by the way, you know, Nick Bosa, I think we are expecting to play. He's only listed as questionable for this game. I think we're expecting him to play, but he did have a concussion this week. Uh, I, I think he's, you know, it, it forced him to stay out for the whole second half against the Cowboys. I just, how often do guys come out after a concussion and still look like themselves the next week? Yeah, it's an iffy thing. Some, You know, it's funny. Concussions are tricky. Some people recover and feel close to normal in a day or two, and some people don't feel normal for months or even years, depending on the severity of it. He did return to practice midweek. I think he will play. How effective will he be? That remains to be seen, but I, I will say this. Um, 75% of Nick Bosa is still better than a lot of other pass rushers in this league. So the other guy that we got to talk about before we touch on the Packers injuries is Fred Warner. Uh, he is good to play, but I don't think that he is himself either. He's been dealing with an ankle injury. It was re-aggravated in the playoff game against the Cowboys. And, you know, Fred's Fred is a, a really great inside linebacker, one of the better ones in football. Um, but his predominant skill set. What makes him so good at his job is his ability to get sideline to sideline quickly. If you got a bum ankle, that, you know, what's really going to put a lot of stress on you mm-hmm. is if, if, if we are utilizing Aaron Jones in that outside zone run that he's so good at, and maybe, maybe Fred is going to be able to get there and shut him down a few times, but you can tire him out and you can get that ankle feeling sore, maybe get him off the field. Second half of the game, if you don't have Fred Warner out there, if you're relying on just Dre Greenlaw to cover up the middle of the field, I think uh, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon can both just absolutely dominate on the ground and eat that up. Um, Because at that point, the only guys you're really 
trying to avoid are Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead. Right. And you know what the difference is between those guys and Fred Warner is that you know what side of the field they're going to be on uh, pre-snap, so you know which way to run. Fred Warner is in the middle. He can go any way he wants. If Right. If, he, if he's not you know, slowed so much by his injury. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. So, yeah, I I mean, and again, I think that we go back to the importance of getting a fast start in this game, taking that lead, because that is when Matt LaFleur runs the ball more often and more effectively. The one thing I don't want to see is, you know, we fall behind 7-0 or we don't take that lead and then, they forget about the running game. The play calling cannot forget the importance of running the football, even if it's not especially effective early. Soften them up, keep them honest, run the football enough to neutralize the pass rush a little bit, and it'll pay off later in the game. We're going to look at the injury report here. Uh, two guys who are not featured in the injury report at all because they're still on IR. Zadaria Smith and Whitney Merciless, I believe. Uh, Friday is the deadline to activate them if they're going to play this week. I, I, uh, they can they can both um, be activated next week and play in the NFC Championship game, I believe. But if they want to play this Saturday, they have to be activated on Friday. Uh, so some of you listening to this um, episode right now, you could pause it and go look and see if we know the answer to that right now. We're recording this late Thursday night. Um I I guess I'm not going to speculate. We we don't know. We don't know if they're going to play. No. Uh right now the roster is at 53. Uh <laughs> they had a little uh a little shuffling today. They released Kingsley Kiki kind of surprising, uh although he's been having some uh personal issues going on that we knew about and brought back Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb is going to play. Billy Turner is going to play. Aaron Jones, Devondre Campbell, uh, these guys don't carry any injury designations at all. So the big question here, you got Billy Turner returning, uh, or I should say returning to the roster, not returning punts or anything, but <laughs> you got Billy Turner returning to the roster. Uh, David Bakhtiari is questionable. He did not practice on Tuesday or Thursday, but he did practice on Wednesday. Uh, Packers are going to take it day by day. He's going to be, sounds like a game time decision. Uh, we'll see if he's going to be starting at left tackle. Um, I'm going to pitch my starting actually, no, you pitch your, who who you think the starting five offensive linemen are. And then I'll, I'll answer. I, I think I go Bakhtiari, Runyon, Myers, Patrick Turner. And if Bakhtiari can't go, uh, then I think it's Yash with the same group going across. Okay. I, I, I think the same, we had a couple questions on Twitter, uh, Wanting to know, first of all, about um, Dennis Kelly remaining in the lineup and also about Billy Turner playing left tackle if Bakhtiari couldn't go. I just don't think that's the case. I think that um, I think Dennis Kelly is further down the depth chart than a lot of fans think he is. So last time we saw Billy Turner on the field, Yash was the left tackle. I think if Bakhtiari can't go, I think that's the lineup. The the one thing that I would maybe take some issue with uh, is LaFleur sounded pretty unimpressed with what Josh Myers did when he returned for the first time against the Lions. 
Um, I would just say it sounded to me a lot like Lucas Patrick has more of Lafleur's confidence right now, which makes sense. I mean, uh, Myers has been gone for like 10 weeks or something at this point. And he's a rookie. I think missing that much time your rookie season is certainly detrimental to your development. Uh, doesn't say anything about his uh, future long-term with the Packers, but coming back for this playoff game, I wouldn't be shocked if the center is Lucas Patrick, but either way, I think Patrick is getting on the field. I think Lucas Patrick is higher up the depth chart than Dennis Kelly is. I agree with that, but see, if you move Lucas Patrick to center, who plays right guard and right tackle? Oh, well, Royce Newman at right guard and Billy Turner at right tackle. And Royce Newman, we dogged a lot during the season, especially uh, midway through because he was playing so poorly. Uh, but I'm going to pull him up real quick here because he has been... He was better the last five games or so. The problem I have with Newman, though, is he struggles to pick up blitzes and stunts. That is still yes. his weakness. Yes. And yes. the 49ers would go after him with stunts and, and A-gap blitzes. And I just am, you know, that to me raises a big concern. And, you know, the alternative is you have Kelly at right tackle and then Turner at right guard. But offensive lines need as much continuity as possible. And I don't like that option as much. Now, look, I'm not the coach. It's not my decision. But I, I would... Unless Josh Myers is really struggling out there, I would hesitate to to move uh, Royce Newman to right guard and and move uh, Lucas Patrick to center. Okay, well let's let's look at this for a second then. So <clears throat> first of all, Josh Myers he played weeks one through four, did not play week five, returned for week six, played like two and series. Then he, was, <laughs> he was gone again until week eighteen. So. Uh, I think for the purposes of this, let's just look at only pass blocking because nobody has very good run blocking grades. So we'll ignore the run blocking and just look at pass blocking. Just everybody's slightly below average on run blocking. Okay. So Josh Myers, week one against New Orleans, uh, great game. He had an 80.1. Week two against Detroit, 72.3. Then 50, 61. He had a game back up at 71, but again, that was just maybe two series against Chicago. Right. And then in his return against Detroit, uh, worst game of the year, he had a 50.4 pass blocking grade and also the worst run blocking grade of the season. So that is Josh Myers. Uh, a lot of games is right around, say, 60, I would say is about his average. So let's look at. Lucas Patrick compared to Royce Newman. Just look at their pass blocking because I think this is in, an interesting comparison. If you go back to about week, oh, let's say week nine because that was the Chiefs game where uh, we were giving Royce Newman such a hard time. Um, actually, you know what? Just to be generous to him, we'll also include week eight because that was a good game for him. So week eight, he had an 82 he followed up with a 28 against Kansas City. Uh, for those same two weeks, Lucas Patrick was a 78 and then a 22. So he actually played worse than Royce did against the Chiefs. Yeah. Those two guys had a rough day. Yep. After that, uh, 
for Roy Stuman, 77, 81, 30, 82, 83, 56, 69, which is, you know, a little over average. And then a 49 last week against the, the lions in the second so half. Got, Cause he didn't play the first half. True. So he had, he kind of swings between great and like horrifically terrible. <laughs> Lucas Patrick, since the Chiefs game, he's just been consistent. Steady. 68. He's got a, he had a, a lower game against the Vikings, 51. That was his worst uh, worst game in that stretch. And then 67, 67, 78, 77, 84, 73. So he's been a lot more consistent recently, and his most recent game was considerably better than Royce's. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an interesting comparison. I think if you had to just choose only one or the other, I think you go with Lucas because it's more of a surefire thing, what you're going to get. Um, But if you're choosing between those two guys and say Josh Myers, it's not super comparable. I think, I think Lucas Patrick next to Royce Newman is maybe a safer combo than Josh Myers next to Lucas Patrick. Well, I think Myers has um, the higher upside, but you don't know as much what you're going to get based on his inactivity lately and the fact that he struggled in his first action back against Detroit. So, you know, what what do you go for? Do you, you try to do the sure thing or do you try to go with the upside? It's a tough decision. Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, I'm not going to completely poo-poo the idea of keeping Dennis Kelly at right tackle because he has played well. He's only played five games, but he played them. He played four of those at a pretty good level. Uh, the Baltimore game was a stinker, but his other four games were pretty decent. Yeah. The, the problem, yeah, maybe, you know, look, this is a good problem to have. All of a sudden yeah. the off, uh, offensive line is getting healthy and you have choices as to which players you want to have, you know, in there. And look, let's face it, not that, that many teams have the offensive line depth that the Packers had this year. You know what? And, and this is also a scenario where I think whoever practices the best uh, th- this week and last week is, you know, is probably who you go with as well. I think there's a, enough combinations here where you're looking at guys who um, have upside, uh, but also maybe have some injury concerns mixed in here. To where I think I think you ride the hot hand of whoever has been practicing the best, and we're not privy to that information. No, we're not. All right, uh, Gil, give me your score prediction for this week. Uh, by the way, we never touched on our <laughs> our score predictions for the Lions. I don't think. No, I don't think uh, we did. So, but but uh, so you're one point ahead of me. <laughs> this is uh, going down to the wire as I thought it would. So, all good. Yep. Uh, I, I, I did make up some considerable ground. Uh, you were very far ahead of me, uh, but you you had such a low prediction for the Lions. You said they were going to score. By the way, we, we both got the Packers score perfect. Yeah. We both said 30. That's what they did. But you said the Lions were going to score 13. I said 24. Reality was 37. Yeah. So I made up some ground. So You made up some ground. I'm going... Packers 27, 49ers 23. I think the fact that the Niners are going to try to emphasize the run early will reduce the number of possessions the Packers get over the course of the game by one or two. And the cold weather, 
And those two factors will lower the score a little bit. 27-23 Packers. I like your Niners prediction for 23. I think the Packers are going to get at least 30 points. I am going to pencil in 31, but I wouldn't, I would not be surprised if they get another touchdown, maybe late, maybe just to kind of salt away a resurging 49ers team that's trying to mount a comeback. I think 31 24, uh, but if the Packers have a good start, if they play the first quarter well and they are able to keep a lead on the Niners all day. I wouldn't be surprised if they saw one more touchdown away at the end and put them away 38-24. 31-24 is my official prediction, though. I think I think that uh, the Niners don't really know what they're walking into. By the way, for anybody who likes DVOA, or if you've heard people talking about DVOA, worth noting that although the Packers uh, don't stack up tremendously well against the Niners, according to DVOA, you know, the DVOA gets numbers get a little bit better if you put some relevant filters on it. Mm-hmm. For example, for example, this game is at home. If you look at the Packers at home versus just in general, they are a tremendously better team at home than they are on the road this year. It's not even close. And that matters since the Packers are going to be playing any and all playoff games at home this year. Uh, so if you look at Niners, on the road, especially uh, recently compared to Packers at home recently. Uh, this is not a very fair fight. The Lions or the uh, the Niners are going to have to play a perfect game and the Packers are going to need to shoot themselves in the foot, essentially, um, which, you know what? We just saw the Cowboys do that at home. Big time. But they're also they're also coached by Mike McCarthy. So <laughs> there's there's that. That's a factor. That's a factor. So. Uh, as, as we're closing, Gil, what is your fear factor for this game? How concerned are you? Um, you know what? Grade it, on a, grade it on a scale of just playoff games for the Packers. On a scale? Grade it on a curve. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, don't, uh, like, don't add extra points just because it's a playoff game. It, any playoff game for the Packers is going to have a degree of concern because it's one and done you right you know you lose and you go and you're done so grade it on a curve for just being a playoff game my i'm i'm a little worried just because i think some of the 49ers strengths line up a little bit well with the packers weaknesses i I, i'm worried but i'm not scared how's that uh, for a way to put it yeah yeah. You know what? Uh, in 2019, I was quite certain we were going to lose to the Niners in the playoffs. So was I, I. I went in with no expectations at all. And then I was still disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Against the Rams last year in the playoffs, I was not that concerned. I felt like the Rams were a good team, but I thought the Packers matched up with them well. Mm-hmm. I was very concerned about the Buccaneers game, but I thought we were going to win it. I really did. I truly believed we were going to the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. I think this game for me is only slightly more concerning than the Rams game last year. Um, just because I, I agree that the Niners 
match up well with the Packers, especially, you know, there's the whole factor of uh, if the Packers cannot contain the run game, whether that's Debo, whether that's Eli Mitchell, I think both of those are, are uh, uh, stiff threats on the ground. Uh, and, and if the Packers come out flat and fall behind, I think that changes the dynamics of the game. If the Packers can come out and establish a lead early and uh, force the Niners to throw more than they want to, I think this game could get ugly for the Niners in a hurry. Uh, that being said, you know, uh, halftime changes things. <laughs> so uh, every possibility that uh, going into halftime, you're feeling good. And then the Packers come out sluggish again, but all told, uh, you know, out of uh, 10 points, again, this is on a playoff curve. So I'm not adding an extra concern because it's the playoffs. I would say I'm at about a six out of 10. Okay. Uh, that, that feels about right to me. I'd say that's fair. Yeah. Well, uh, everybody, we, we super appreciate you sticking around for an extra long no huddle. But come on, it's the playoffs. It's the 49ers. <laughs> this is worth it. And uh, I, I, I will just here's my closing thoughts. I don't know who's going to win the Buccaneers Rams game. Rams already beat the Bucks once this year. I think the uh, Bucks play really well at home and this is at home for them. So, you know, there's there's interesting things to watch there. But the three other teams in the NFC playoffs right now. The Buccaneers, the 49ers, the Rams, those are the last three teams to win the NFC and go on to represent them in the Super Bowl. And the Niners and Bucks both ended the Packers season in the NFC championship game. I just think it would be really poetic and really special. If we blew out both of those teams, had had to had to go through both of those teams to get to the Super Bowl and accomplish it. I just think it would be uh, very meaningful. Anytime you go to the Super Bowl, it's a tough road. I mean, these are the best of the best of the best. And if you're going to go to the Super Bowl, uh, there is no easy path there. No question there is no easy path. No question that it would be sort of a, a lovely, fitting way to get to the Super Bowl by beating the two teams that knocked you out in the NFC Championship game the previous year. It would be the Lambeau Field Revenge Tour 2022. But take it one game at a time. Let's get past San Francisco first. Whichever team, look, if we get the Rams next week, I'm just as happy. Just as happy. Let's just concentrate on San Francisco, and then we'll worry about the NFC Championship game if we get there. And then... Wow, one game away from the Super Bowl for the third year in a row. Oh, boy. Well, we'll be right here next week to uh, either celebrate with you or, you know, to discuss what happened. (laughs) Either way, uh, you've been listening to No Huddle Radio. We'll be right back here with you next week. Follow us on Twitter, at Gilpackers, at JJ Leahy. Stay up to date on all things Packers. Or to ask us questions, you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go!
You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Not bad.